It's kind of a real Cinderella story in many ways. I know it's because of the PR that they have been quietly watching over the last year or so. It's incredible the impact that it actually has on decision makers. Decision makers are keeping an eye on who is featured. I understand its value and power and I understand how it's part of being a change maker. Have you ever wondered how successful businesses and thought leaders keep landing those big media opportunities and keep the buzz going around what they're up to? It's not just by chance. They're all using the power of storytelling. I'm Nicola J. Rowley, and with over 25 years in the media as both a journalist and PR expert, I'm here to help you unlock the story potential for both you and your brand. Everything starts with a story. This is the Power of Storytelling podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Power of Storytelling podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. We first met each other virtually in 2021 when we were just emerging from the pandemic, when we were just working out, do we still need to wear a mask? Do we not still need to wear a mask? And I was actually introduced to her by a fellow member of my membership, the PR Mastery membership, Andrew Benson. And what had happened is that Andrew had responded to a request, a media request that we post out into the group. And she'd gone along to a photo shoot for Good Housekeeping magazine. And what she'd done is she'd taken one of her best friends with her at the time. And the pair of them were featured in a double page spread in Good Housekeeping magazine. So that's where our story begins. And since then, we've had lots of working together, lots of working out, me helping my lovely guest with her story, understanding how taking your visibility to the next level can make a massive, massive difference to where you are, the opportunities that start coming your way, and how visibility can really feed into making your business as successful as possible. The one, the only, Antoinette Daniel. That was a very big introduction. Hi, oh, Nicola. <laughs> you need a big introduction. You're an amazing lady and I love everything that you do. So oh, without you. further ado, can you tell us what it is that you do, especially with Just Helpers, but then also you've got, I know you've got another business as well. So if you can just give me an elevator pitch and then we can start the rest of the podcast talking about how you've taken visibility to the next level. Sure. So I'm all about people. Um, I'm all about helping people to um, have equitable working conditions, helping people to feel mentally, physically, emotionally well, giving women space to lean into their superpower and be the best that they can working in flow. So all the businesses join up under that one umbrella, if you like, just a running mate to help people find their joy work from a place of strength and make an impact, a positive impact in their corner of the world. So my, my primary business is a cleaning agency. 
very accidental. That's certainly one of the articles that came out. But really, the core of that was about recognising that there was an injustice in the cleaning industry and that women were on low pay or no pay. And so 10 years on, we're still working out how we campaign to change that uh, on a national scale. Along the way, as a, as a solopreneur, initially, I realized that I just needed a tribe of women that could journey with me. So that's where my latest baby, Entrepreneurs, has come into play. And that's a planning and well-being business. So taking my 15 years, my business partner, 17 years of school teaching uh, and putting that into a planning business to help women get out of overwhelm and into action. And my middle child, my middle baby is a tech build and if any of you know a generous millionaire out there that wants to give me a million pounds to build my tech build, which will transform the cleaning industry as well and really disrupt the awful systems that are going on out there. So allow people to scale and grow their business without the, the silly overheads, then yeah, please, an introduction would be great. <laughs> so that's me. So when we first started to know each other, we sat down and we actually did a strategy session where we worked out what your story is. And I think mm -hmm. the fact that you have come from where you did right at the very beginning, I remember you telling me the story about one of your earliest memories and it stayed with me to this day. So Antoinette, can you tell me where you were at that point before we go through the rest of your story? Sure. So I was about age seven and I remember being shaken awake by my mom uh, and her saying the flat's on fire, the flat's on fire and us having to run out through like a, a tiny gap between the, all the coats that were on fire in the hallway to get to the front door. It, you know, it subsequently developed that my mom was suffering from schizophrenia. Uh, she'd been having severe depressive bouts. And this was her way of trying to end it all for both her and me. And she changed her mind at the last moment, thankfully. Yeah. And, and it is that thankfulness and that gratitude, I think, that you practice on a daily basis yeah. as well, that just comes through everything that you do. So obviously, because your mum was incredibly unwell in terms of her own mental health, you went into the care system and being in the care system, Sometimes you can be overlooked. Thankfully for you, you were bright enough and smart enough and it was noticed as well. But not before you were actually with a foster family. And as part of that, you used to have to do lots of cleaning. So, so yes, I mean, my mum taught me to read and write, which gave me a massive head start in the school system. And so I was taken into a foster family who had... Well, two bright girls as well who'd won assisted places to a private school. And that was social services hope for me that I could follow in their footsteps, which I did. So really thankful for that. But also part of that um, time of my life involved me getting up quite early uh, in the morning to make sure that the house was spotless before my foster mum would get home. I'd often be on my hands and knees with a dustpan and brush. It's kind of a real Cinderella story in many ways. You know, and she had her own challenges and all of that emerged as well. But cleaning was something that I did every day of my life for the five years that I lived with them. And by 7am, our house would be would be spotless. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. I just think, I mean, I think everyone wants an Antoinette that can come in and just spend two hours cleaning their house. But I mean, obviously for you, that was, it must have been quite a, a difficult time. But let's look at the positives from all of this, because actually... 
you sought solace in the cleaning. It was the cleaning that you actually became your friend. And it's why you've gone on to do what it is that you do. So, yes, I, I think for me, what I valued was it was a really quiet time of the day. There was no stress. I wasn't going to get in trouble for anything. There was no one around. So it became quite a safe space. And, and once I mastered it, actually, it was the one thing that I could deliver for that house that that didn't cause me any aggravation. So, yeah, I felt empowered by it eventually once I got over the fact that I didn't, I didn't really want to be up at five doing this. Yeah. And, you know, fast forward to you starting the cleaning business, you saw a sense of something's not right here. And I think you've always been driven by, hang on a second, if something's not right, I know I'm the person, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make it right. Do you think you've always had that? Do you think you've always like known that you wanted to right the wrongs that were going on? I think I always knew that I wanted to right the wrongs in social services. That was my primary aim. I'm going to foster teenagers and I'm going to treat them the way that I would have liked to have been treated. And I'd known that since the age of about 13. And so I'd always been driving towards that. The cleaning was almost incidental. It was just something I could do well. So if there was a time in my life where I sofa surfed for a bit as uh, through university and whenever I would stay with friends, I would just do a deep clean and they loved it. And so, it was, again, it was a real place of empowerment. Uh, and so when I needed um, a side hustle, which is a, <laughs> a part of the next story, I guess, I turned to cleaning because I thought it's something I know I'm good at. It's, it's a peace and quiet place. I'm not going to be talent spotted here. I can just get in, do it. It'll be my happy place and I can build the other things that I'm building you know, outside of that. Uh, but the justice thread has never, ever left me as a teacher. I was always the teacher that fought for the underdogs. I was always the teacher that was given those kids that nobody wanted to teach and loved it. I always would be looking out for the kids on the edge, on the, on the margins. Uh, and then as I went into to work with social services, I loved that job uh, working for teenagers that needed educational input. So that was a complete happy place for me. But even in the workplace, I would be that annoying member of staff that would be like, hang on a second, that's not fair. <laughs> I'm not having that. I, I need to stand for that. So yes, I think it's a thread that's followed me since childhood, but not before foster care. I think before foster care, I was a happy-go-lucky, fairly self-centered young person. And do you think that now when you look back at everything, like in terms of starting that cleaning business, I mean, you say it kind of naturally progressed. You you saw what was going on and you knew that you could help people with cleaning. But actually, did you did you start the business because you thought, actually, I can help? I think it needs to be done a different way because the cleaning industry doesn't feel like it's fairly weighted. Uh, so no, if I'm honest, I started the, the industry to earn a bit of money on the side for just myself. And because of how I delivered, the business grew and I needed to take people on. And it was maybe when I got to my third person that came and went, came and went, my third person who really started to drill down into what was going on, what had gone on for them and what was going on for a whole subsector of, of our community that I started to perk up. And the, and the irony was that my main job, the job I'd left teaching for, was to campaign against human trafficking. So I was traveling up and down the country initially doing that. I was in charge of um, growing a charity in the London Borough of Merton. And so there I was busy campaigning in my real job. <laughs> and then I realized as I started to hear these stories, oh my goodness, hang on, this is 
this is part of the chalk face of what I'm campaigning against. So it took about 18 months for my brain cells to really catch up. Um, what I did know is that everybody that came to work with me was um, receiving really great conditions because they kept saying that. I, and I kept thinking, well, this is weird. I'm just treating you as I'd like to be treated myself. But when you get to person number four, five, six saying the same thing, then you start to take notice and think, well, something must be really wrong everywhere else. If this just you know, what I thought was a basic level of treating another human being was abnormal. That's the thing. I mean, it's one of my core values as well. You should treat everyone the way that you would want to be treated. And I think it's such an important thing to actually focus on as well when you're, when you're in business as well. So as you're going through and you're starting to see, hang on a second, but you know, this is really important. I think that it should be the norm that everyone should be having the living wage, not the minimum wage, the living wage. Did things start to like, you start to question things and just think, hang on a second, perhaps I could do more with this. Perhaps I could raise awareness through what it is that I'm doing. With everything that I've done with this business, I've been a bit slow learning or sort of hard of hearing is what I say to people. It just took me a little while to think, oh, yeah, okay, it's me again. I've got to do something. I'd say that I, like initially I thought I'm just going to create a brilliant working environment for everyone that comes my way. That's my bit. That's my contribution. But again, the more people you take on and the more you sit back and think, well, that's not enough, is it? That That's just a drop in the ocean. Actually, until the entire business changes, I can't even make the changes that I want to. I think that's what really spurred it on. It's not enough for just me to be doing the right thing. Actually, for me to run my business in the way that I think is fair and right and just, I need the whole of the UK to understand that this is the right way to run a cleaning business. And so I guess that's where it started. Because when you get clients saying, oh, you're a little bit more expensive than you know, Joe Bloggs down the road, you have to go into the whole narrative of this is why. This, this is why it's more expensive, because I pay my people not even the real living wage, but actually more always. We have consistently paid more. And not only that, but we celebrate them. You know, all the things that we do that give dignity to our cleaning colleagues, you have to explain to the public. And then you realise, well, unless I can change the competition and get them on track, actually, we're not going to get much traction either. And neither are other ethical cleaning businesses. It's going to be a really hard marketplace for them to start unless we're all driving towards the same thing. So I'd say that that's grown, especially over the last five years. And the pandemic, actually, although it was an awful, awful time, it identified cleaners, we call them helpers, as key workers. It helped to begin to solve a massive problem that I had, which was when you're trying to bring about systemic change, which is why PR is so important, it's not enough for you to be banging your own drum. It's almost three-pronged. One, you have to create a groundswell from the ground upwards. So there's a massive edu education piece that goes on where the public need to know this is the right way of doing things. The other leg of the stool is that legislation needs to change and you need to be able to get in front of parliament. And the third is that uh, the people that are impacted also need to understand their rights. And so there's a, a real HR element that needs to go on or a social social element that needs to go on or an education piece for the, uh, you know, the end user, whoever that is. And the thread that runs between all those three is visibility. And they take time. But unless you've got credibility as, as the drum banger, which usually comes with visibility, it's very hard to affect universal change. 
So you've been able to use this to great effect since we've been working together, since you've been in my world as well. I know you've been featured in loads of different publications, magazines. What has that actually done for you in terms of that banging the drum, in terms of being able to help those three prongs be able to feel more cohesive? And I would say, so it's hot off the press. I was was just telling Nicola before we came on, I would say that those shifts are incremental, but with each piece of PR that I've received, uh, whenever anyone starts, if you Google my name now, I am the first page in Google. Uh, And that just helps other people that are listening or watching from afar when they start to investigate, who is this woman? You know, we sadly know that Google is the authority on that. There's just a waft of places that I've been featured and really top level publications and certainly coming through your PR mastery group has just helped to really solidify a lot of those bases. So when people see that, they're more likely to invite you in or engage with you in conversation. Am I allowed allowed to reveal what's happening tomorrow? You are. Reveal away. (laughs) So tomorrow I've been invited into a room with 12 other businesses with um, Shadow Deputy Prime Minister and the Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer. You know, politics aside, um, I know that around, well, during the pandemic, I have these sitting in the bath moments. So the first was a good housekeeping moment, which is what I know makes Nicola laugh. Sitting in the bath thinking, I need a double page spread in good housekeeping. Two days later, Andrew contacts me and says, guess what? I've got this option. But actually even better, after two years of working with Nicola, I had my own good housekeeping double spread telling this story, which then really gets you good traction. But tomorrow, because of all of the bits of PR that have been going out steadily over the last two to three years, I've been invited through another organisation who now think that I am a trusted ally that is going to go in with them and deliver this message to these people, along with my own message that I need to to try and communicate as well. And it wouldn't have happened without the PR pieces building my reputation. It's incredible, isn't it? I think lots of people think of PR as, you know, you can be featured once and you could have left it. You could have left it as I'm in a double pace spread in good housekeeping along with my friend, Andre, and that's a really lovely piece. But you knew deep down that actually this was incredibly powerful. And if you could find a way to be able to get to that stage, to be able to, how do I start having those high level conversations? And using the media as a way to be able to set out your stall, to have your message. And I know you've already had like a a three-page spread in Woman Magazine. You've been in Metro. You've been You've been in all kinds of places talking about this story, talking about your story, but also how it's so important that we change things for the cleaning industry, that it's really aided your credibility. And it is the credibility that has literally enabled you to be able to achieve this, to get to walk into parliament, because it's not just anyone that just, you know, gets tapped on the shoulder and says, by the way, we'd like to hear what you've got to say about X, Y, Z. I didn't think it was possible. And part of this year, I I knew that I needed to pivot some of my attention to certain key organisations. But I didn't think that this thing that I dreamed up in the bath, I really need to talk to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, could happen um, through that. And I know it's because of the PR that they've been quietly watching over the last year or so. 
It's incredible the impact that it actually has on decision makers, not only on other businesses working with you, other clients and all the rest of it, but decision makers are keeping an eye on who is featured. What is it that they're doing? What is their messaging? And what is it that they really stand for? So Antoinette, can you explain to me why is it so important for anyone that's listening right now that might not have picked up on the nuances from our conversation so far? Why is it so important that we focus on cleaning and we get cleaners to a good level of living? Why is that so important? So I think take it from the client selfish point of view, first of all, it's not selfish, but you're inviting someone into your home. You have literally given them the keys to your kingdom. Your most important documents are there. Your children, if you have children, are there. All your worldly possessions or your are, are there, or the keys to them, or the codes to them, everything. To invite someone in and leave them alone who's on the poverty line, you know, you're you're putting temptation in their way. Now, most of my colleagues are extremely honest, hardworking individuals and wouldn't exploit that. So I want to reassure you of that. But they are one of your primary caregivers, if you think about it in that way. Uh, we, We recently had a couple who are going through a separation and both of them are saying, our cleaner makes us feel loved, supported. She gives us real joy every time we come home. It just makes going to work and doing all the things that we are made to do really straightforward. So that person who comes in and tends to some of your basic needs, why shouldn't they be able to not only survive in the city and town that you and they work in, but thrive? Without a good standard of wage, you're not going to get cleaners that stay with you because they're always going to be searching for something that pays more, which allows them to leave a legacy to their family and their children. It's backbreaking work. So people should be rewarded for that. And also people should be considering that when you go on holiday and your employer is still paying you, you should be doing the same for your cleaner as well. Just because you're cancelling cleans, that's not your cleaner's choice. They've still got a budget and a life and a livelihood and people that they're supporting. So it's the right thing to do. It helps keep you and your family safe and it enables another individual in this world to not survive, but thrive. Yeah, it's so, so important. In terms of your story, you could have shied away from telling that. You could have shied away because actually it wasn't the easiest of starts. I mean, I can't imagine the trauma that you actually went through knowing like that's one of your earliest memories was being pulled by your mum out of a burning flat. And yet you still found the strength to tell your story. How difficult was it for you to actually step into that? Okay, I know that by telling my story, I'm going to be able to help others. I think you meeting you was a real seminal part of that, because up until meeting you, I'd never really told that part of my story. There was a part of me trying to think about honouring my mum honouring my foster sisters, but talking through my whole life story with you, which felt really safe, you helped me to see how all the dots connected together. What I loved about it was that you didn't press me to share it. You just said, here is your story, use it as you will. But, you know, I, I can see the points of connection. So there was a real validating moment from you. 
And I think I've told that story now because there's there's many things to it. One, it's how I was born in, in many ways, how the justice part of me was birthed. And so it's a really important backstory to this current narrative that you find us in, because what people might hear is the public girl, that public school girl accent, but actually that's not my reality. You know, I, I understand, or I can empathise where a lot of people who are on the breadline, what's going on for them and, and the long-term, long-term impact that can have. Two, there's a whole mental health story that I still feel, you know, I haven't tapped into and I haven't told. And three, my, my end game desire is to start a foundation for kids exiting the care system who are sparky and entrepreneurial. And I think unless people understand the entirety of my story, they're not going to gravitate towards me to either come alongside, enable or be inspired that they too can overcome whatever circumstances life has thrown at them. And that meeting that you're about to go into, of course, you're then putting yourself in front of potential decision makers of the future who can then resonate with you, who can understand your story. And I think the strength in anything that you do at that meeting will be tell them your story. Because from that, I think your dream of being able to have that foundation, that foundation that helps children coming out of care, that want to do stuff, that actually don't want to be written off just because they've been in care, but want Mm. to go on and build businesses for themselves to help impact other people's lives, I think it could become a reality, but it's a way to fast track that as well. Your lips to God's ears, Nicola, and I will be telling my story. Thank you. If I get the opportunity, it's out there. And I think that's the thing. If you're listening to this right now, this is how you can take your story to the next level by feeling more comfortable about telling your story and the parts of it that you're happy to share. You don't have to share everything. It's really important that you know that. Share the parts of it that you're happy to share, but you can have an incredible impact. So this episode has been all about the impact that you can have because already, Antoinette, you've gone out there and you've been having that impact on other people's lives. You've got a hugely successful cleaning business. I know that you're working um, alongside other entrepreneurial women through entrepreneurs as well. And again, it's having that impact on other people as we go through that can make a massive difference. If you were to sum up the difference that when you were first starting out on this journey to where you are now in terms of visibility and the difference that that has made to you, what would you say? I would say from when I first started out feeling very anxious, very nervous about being seen at all, fast forward three, four years, I own my story. And that's definitely been solidified with you, Nicola. I understand its value and power. And I understand how it's part of being a change maker. Amazing, Antoinette. I love that. And you are a change maker. And I cannot wait to see where you go next with this. Watch (laughs) this space, literally watch this lady because she's going to achieve amazing things. Don't be surprised if they don't try and recruit you so that you go into politics yourself because I can see that happening. (laughs) (laughs) I can can see that (laughs) happening though, that they would want you to do that. I can absolutely see that. You've been listening to the Power of Storytelling podcast with my fantastic guest, 
Antoinette Daniel. Uh, Antoinette, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? The easiest place is on AntoinetteDaniel.com and then everything stretches out from there. So all my socials, all my connections, you can email me through there and you can get a little pricey of who I am. And we'll put obviously everything in the show notes as well so that you can connect with Antoinette, see what she's up to, what happens through that meeting, all of the next steps. But the big lesson from this episode is it's not just about one piece of PR. It's about building on several pieces of PR to really gain that credibility, to really think strategically about where you want to go, where it is that you want to be seen and that the heart of everything is your story. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on The Power of Storytelling.